From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Thursday, July 21st. There's a nursing shortage in the country, and that applies to Moab, where we have our own challenges, too. Justin Higginbottom speaks with the CEO of Moab Regional Hospital about the situation and potential solutions for attracting more workers into healthcare. Jen Sadoff has lived in Moab for over 20 years. She was once the director of the Youth Garden Project in town. I got into healthcare after my dad got sick, and I moved him out here to Moab and navigated his care for four years in, you know, six different hospitals in three different states. And through that process, I became really interested in how we can improve the healthcare system for patients. She's worked at Moab Regional Hospital for 10 years. She's now CEO, and she's heard about the looming nurse shortage from the beginning. One of the first things that I started to hear about when I began working at Moab Regional Hospital was an anticipated nursing shortage starting in 2020. That's due to less people entering the profession, more nurses retiring, and a greater demand from aging baby boomers. A report this year from McKinsey & Company estimates the shortage could be as high as 450,000 workers by 2025. Sadoff says they had at one time around 40 open positions at the hospital. Well, it definitely creates areas where they're short-staffed. People are working extra shifts to help cover. You know, that leads to burnout. It's sort of um, one of those catch-22s. You know, you start to get in this cycle where people get burned out and then they want to leave. Either our organization or healthcare altogether. Now they're down to around 25 open positions. That's not just for nurses. Medical lab technicians and radiologists are hard to find. Also, front desk staff. For us, it seems like our front desk area is a really hard area to keep filled, primarily because, you know, we fight with all of the hotels and other service industries for people who can fill those positions. Competing with hotels isn't the only unique challenge in Moab. Another is a lack of affordable housing. Nurses are very practical people, you know, not to generalize, but they tend to be. So they don't want to move to a place where they can't afford a house. Sadoff says that most of her workers make too much to apply for local housing programs, but don't make enough to actually buy a home. The hospital already owns five residences and rents 13 others to give employees at least a place to land when they come to Moab. And they're looking to buy more property. We've been looking at purchasing a piece of land to build housing for employees, very similar to the land trust model. Travel nurses are providing an essential stopgap, but the temporary workers are expensive. Sadoff says it's not a long-term solution. It is not sustainable. If our whole nursing force was at that wage, we would definitely have to do one of two things. Either raise our prices to cover it, or eventually close our doors. Utah State University's Moab campus and nursing program is helping to provide some local talent. It's already providing a great pipeline to the hospital. Um, We hired, I think, most of the nurses, if not all, who applied, who just graduated this last spring. But the graduating class is usually pretty small, around 10 students. That's related to another shortage in nursing. Colleges are struggling to find teachers. So that's another national problem that's going on where we're not training enough new nurses because we don't have enough people who want to work as nursing 
instructors. Despite this, Sadoff remains optimistic that our corner of Utah will somehow make it work. It's really easy to get depressed when you look at the news and you think about housing and you think about shortages. But Moab has always been this beautiful community of a lot of people tackling problems from different directions. And I really think there are enough intelligent people and enough hardworking people in this community that we'll see some of these things get better. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. The seven Colorado River Basin states have until mid-August to drastically cut their water use. Federal officials say that's necessary to keep the river's giant reservoirs from going empty. If state leaders fail to come up with a plan, they could be facing a federal crackdown. From KUNC, Luke Runyon has more on what that might look like. In June, Assistant Secretary for the Interior Department, Tanya Trujillo, spoke to a gathering of water leaders in Colorado. She detailed the department's recent charge that the entire basin needed to cut two to four million acre feet of water use to avoid a crisis. That's more than the entire state of Colorado uses from the river in a year. Here's Trujillo. We're going to likely be in a situation of doing things we've never done before. If the states don't meet this summer's deadline and make firm commitments to conserve, Trujillo made it clear the federal government is prepared to step in. At Interior, we have an obligation to protect the physical infrastructure that we own and operate so that we can ensure it will continue to operate. That infrastructure includes the river's two massive reservoirs, Lakes Mead and Powell. They're both in jeopardy of dropping to levels where hydropower shuts off and water can't move through their dams, which would cut off cities and farmers throughout the southwest. But right now, it's unclear if the mandated conservation will come from the feds or the states. I think that's a heavy lift. Terry Fulp ran Lower Colorado River operations for the Bureau of Reclamation for eight years. He says this is a long-standing tension between the federal government and the states. When a crisis takes hold on the river, the feds use the threat of intervention to wrangle even the most stubborn parties to the negotiating table. But Fulp says this time may be different. I think it'll be a big surprise for me if by August the partners come in with a plan. If that happens, the federal actions would vary across the watershed, he says. The Colorado River is split in two. Fulp says in the river's lower basin states of Nevada, California, and Arizona, the feds play an outsized role with a hand firmly planted on the river's largest spigot. Reclamation right off the bat again could change releases, release patterns. That would mean slashing the amount of water that flows downstream from the nation's biggest reservoir, Lake Mead. The states would then scramble to either find new water supplies or impose draconian restrictions. There is a recognition that the situation is even worse than anticipated on the river. J.B. Hamby is a director for the Imperial Irrigation District. The group of Southern California farmers holds rights to large volumes of water and often plants itself at the center of heated Colorado River debates. That it's in our collective interest to live with a little bit less in order to avoid having nothing. In the river's upper basin states of Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico, the federal government's powers are less clear. Peter Fleming is a lawyer for the Colorado River District, a water agency on Colorado's western slope. 
I don't think anybody knows specifically what any sort of single point of authority that the secretary can say, this gives me the authority to regulate or impose shortages in the upper basin states. In many ways, the whole watershed is in uncharted legal territory, and that kind of uncertainty gives way to lawsuits. You know, whether it's in the lower basin or the upper basin, the secretary shuts off the valve, um, you know, I think they know there's going to be litigation that follows. The political pressure on water managers to come up with solutions is mounting, says Elizabeth Kobley, a political science professor at the University of Nevada, Reno. The public eye is really on the river right now. If they can get beyond the current crisis, Kobley says, this moment of reckoning could open the door to other, more innovative ways to manage water in the West. That might force some changes in a way that we haven't had kind of the political will to force in, in the past. She says whether the political will to make those changes exists is still an open question. I'm Luke Runyon. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by our partners at KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, July 21st. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.